Welcome to Theodora Speaks, a podcast series celebrating risk-taking women who have successfully failed forward on their journey to reinvent themselves and follow their dreams. Today's episode is going to focus on Noelle Kirshner. And the reason why I asked Noelle to be a guest today is I wanted her to share her story in her risk-taking journey and how her faith and her strength has carried her through to her success. She wrote a book and it really spoke to me, The Six-Step Journey to God's Best. She's also a, a TV host from Chaos to Calm. That resonated with me as well because I've been grappling with being a mother of two young children, a working mom, and I felt like a hamster on a wheel and that I was a robot. And how do I become more calm? And then my children will also not feel that anxious. And so I'm reinventing myself on this journey. And like Noelle says, I wanted to find a role that not only I'm passionate about, but that sang to my heart that I felt called to. And back to Noelle's book, it's a six-step series, but risk really stood out to me. And Noelle says to be rooted in your faith and not your fear. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's podcast. I also want to thank you for being here because your time is precious and there's many podcasts you can listen to. Noelle, thank you for joining me today. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be here with you, Gail. I'm so proud of you and your new venture. Oh, well, thank you. It's such a pleasure and honor to have you and your caliber of you on my podcast today. You're a mom of three boys, which is impressive in and of itself. You married your college sweetheart. You're a Presbyterian minister. You blog in your spare time, what spare time you have. Um, you've also appeared on sites like the Huff Post, Mamapedia, Today Show Parenting Team. It's an impressive, impressive background. And if that's not impressive enough, you're also an author and a host of a cable TV parenting series called Chaos to Calm with Noelle Kirshner, which I absolutely love that title. Love it, love it, love it. We feel the chaos, don't we? Yes, yes. And especially uh, in today's world, right? Every day is, is chaotic, let alone That's right. uh, being and a working mom. Calm. I, I base that title on life experience scale. Oh, it's beautiful. And it resonates with so many of us. I really like the 31-day devotion for parents. I, I recently signed up to receive your free ebook because it really spoke to me. You know, during this pandemic time, we live day by day, hour by hour. And so I'm really encouraged by it. We're all journeying and we're all trying to find, I think, greater peace, greater contentment. And as women, courage and, and strength for the many roles that we balance. Mm -hmm. And so that was really my intent when I wrote that devotional journal, just trying to bring faith real time to the need that especially parents have of trying to balance it all. Mm -hmm. And it's been a thread that has continued in so many different veins of what I do in terms of ministry and in communication. And um, so I'm, I'm really happy to hear that it resonates with you. It does. And I really like that there's, you know, the spirituality aspect, but there's also meditation and a challenge to tackle the day, maybe a in a different way. Every notable accomplishment is made through, through just tiny tweaks, tiny changes along the way. That can, the tiny tweaks can make such a difference too. Yes. Which is exciting. And as, as we dive into today's 
first topic of defining your life's purpose, I want you to sit back for a second and picture yourself driving down Route 495 on your way to New York City. And you look up and you see the following billboard about yourself. And it says, rise and shine. And this billboard was created by your first and forever best friend, who you've known since kindergarten, Amy Stevens. Why rise and shine about Noelle? And she said in her own words, Noelle has always been one to literally rise and then literally shine. Her soul radiates in beams of energetic light, whether it be on stage, in academics, staying true to her personal beliefs, following her heart, in her profession, she always rises and shines. Um, she and I have had a mutual journey, honestly, Gail, of trying to rise and shine together and to bring out the best in each other and to take those risks and to walk hand in hand um, despite the distance between us. You know, me on the East Coast, although formerly I'm a Midwestern girl. Um, so I appreciate what she's saying. And, you know, when I think about rise and shine, I think about life purpose because I did just write a book, How to Live Your Life Purpose. And the culminating chapter of the six steps, I break living your life purpose into six steps, is joy. And when I really think about what that joy looks like when we become whom we're created to be, and of course it's always an evolving journey, but when we're taking those active steps and we're feeling that energy, we are shining. And the best example that I've used to explain it to people is actually electricity. It feels like electricity is surging through us. So yes, we want to rise, but we, we have this renewable force that's working inside of us. You know, I'm a minister. I believe it's, it's a, a spiritual source, but it can flow out of us and it can flow through us to others. And it can make a difference in the world precisely as we're meant to do. And the, the great thing about currents is that they keep flowing. So mm -hmm. as long as we stay in our groove, we will have the ammo to do whatever it is that God has placed at our fingertips to do. And I think that's the greatest honor of any of our journeys, right? To say that we've come to this earth for the fleeting days that we have, and we've lived the life we're meant to live. We're all rising and shining. Beautifully said. I love it. And when you say electricity and currents, I think about Amy Stevens, right? She introduced us years ago, but, but she really is that ray of sunshine. And you have to be open to networking and opportunities, right place, right time. And it was great that she brought us together as I start my new journey and my endeavor. So going back to rising and shining, Noel, you were always called to help others. When you were pre-med and morphed into the jurisprudence field, your heartstrings ultimately pulled you into ministry. Tell us about your journey and the forks in the road that led you to your calling. Well, that's a great question. And it's one that honestly, when I was in the moment, would have had a lot of words and not a lot of clarity. But it's one, of course, you know, the gift of hindsight. You can look back and you can see that wrestling, that struggle that we all do, especially in our 20s, trying to figure things out. 
with just a greater insight at this stage in my life. And what I can tell you was that I always felt called to be a healer. I was drawn to healing and I thought that it was going to be medically early on. You know, I read this powerful book, um, Dr. Ben Carson's uh, book, Gifted Hands, and he has just an incredible story. And of course, we've seen him, you know, in politics of late, but he is an incredible accomplished surgeon. And so much of his motivation from where he came from to who he is now has been rooted in faith. And you see that through this beautiful book that he wrote. And so I remember that book being a companion for me as I was pre-med undergrad at Northwestern. And I wasn't one of those who gave up. I've never shied away from a challenge. I completed the entire pre-med track. Wow. But I had this sense that, you know, I have these gifts in speaking and writing and you know what, I enjoy doing them. And I wasn't quite sure how that really fit in to this medical track. And so, um, upon graduation, I decided to work at a litigation firm in New York City, and I was doing expressly medical law cases. And I thought, well, maybe this would be a better combination of the medical track, but, you know, integrating the speaking and writing. And Gail, it was my first time out of the Midwest, and I found myself in New York City, and 9-11 happened. Mm. And I cannot tell you how the world around me just crumbled. You know, going into work, crying secretaries, crying people, you know, they haven't seen their husband who's a rescue worker. Um, there was so much fear and so much devastation. And I felt that too, right? Because I was in a different part of the country than where I'd grown up and I was just kind of catapulted into this situation. And I found myself cataloging documents, listening to religious books on tape, and I'm thinking, who am I kidding? You know, my faith is what is grounding me through this moment, and my faith has something to provide a hope that I was just in an environment that needed that hope so much that I just felt like that's it. You know, I want to give my life to this hope, and I am ready to say I want to be a healer in a spiritual sense. And interesting, Noelle, you're saying the faith, because oftentimes people let fear, let them, fear overtake their lives. And you went the opposite way. Well, you know, it was what grounded me, you know, returning to um, those Bible verses that I had grown up with, thinking about the power of, um, you know, new life and redemption. And I mean, those were things that weren't just ideas. Those were things that I needed right then. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was amazed as a new New Yorker, how much the city came together and became a city like I hadn't seen it before. And you saw this full, this fullness, this, this source of hope and, and unity and community in such a real sense that you thought, you know, this is how it's going to happen. Like, this is how you can change the world. You can bring people together, sometimes through difficult moments, and see the best of what we can be. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to be a part of it. That's amazing. And it's everything I read because, you know, I wasn't, I was in Chicago at the time and we were 
in our early 20s, but I'll never forget what I was doing where I was at that moment um, when the Twin Towers were hit. And you said, you know, how life crumbled, but you let your faith, you know, guide you and give you that hope. And we need hope today more than ever. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, even through devastating times, I've seen that trace of of God's hope made real to me. And, you know, at the time I, I was dating my college sweetheart, he was actually in New York and any other day he would have been downtown. But that particular morning he was taking a certification exam in Midtown. Like literally the one morning he hadn't reported down there since we had both come to New York. And, you know, we just, our relationship, which was already serious, became that much more. And we relied on each other. And he supported me hand in hand when I went to seminary. It was just a beautiful transformation and, and potential at new life in a new chapter, um, even through a hard time. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's important to look for those um, traces of light. In any, in any experience and see if they might have a larger message for your future. Mm-hmm. And to really listen to the guardian angels that surround us too. Yeah. On a daily basis. So what was um, after, right? You moved to, to New York, pre-med, all this kind of changed, fork in the road, if you will. What was next? Well, I decided, my husband was contracted to work at a particular finance firm. uh, firm. And so I had kind of a tight radius of places that I could look at seminary-wise. But I had been raised Presbyterian, and really the top Presbyterian seminary was commuting distance to New York City. I mean, it's, again, just one of those things where, you know, Princeton Seminary, I had had pastors growing up who had studied there. I had held it in such esteem. And I remember going on the campus and it was scary. You know, I had thought about being a minister, but really taking that leap. um, There were so many unknowns. I didn't know what to expect. Um, It was scary. Mm -hmm. And, and I went on to the campus and keep in mind, I was living in midtown Manhattan at that moment. I was living across from a fire station. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was used to a lot of noise and I walk onto the, campus and it is like you could hear a pin drop two blocks away and it was terrifying (laughs) all of a sudden I'm alone with my thoughts and I'm thinking about who I am and what I want and I knew that this was the place that I was meant to be but it was going to be a period of a lot of introspection, a lot of reimagining, you know, what um, my world would look like. And I didn't know what pastoring would look like even for me. Mm -hmm. And so it was a precipice and I decided to go for it and take that risk. And it was an incredibly affirming, but also, you know, scary um, Mm -hmm. decision to make because you know, my dad had been a doctor, my mom had been a lawyer, and here I was in unknown territory, carving out my own path. And I think that that really fueled my perspective and eventual penning of my book. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, when you described going from New York City to the pin dropping, immediately I thought from chaos to calm. Oh, 
Yes. Well, there's another connection that I didn't even think about when I came up with that title. You know, I'm so immersed as a mom of three boys in the chaos of family life. But yes, <laughs> chaos, chaos can follow us, can't it? That's right. It has many forms of life. So, Noelle, you've experienced what you're sharing, the career reinvention throughout your many seasons of life. Tell us about when you grow, tell us about exactly what you grappled with during those transitions and the underlying beauty and reinvention. Well, let me just say that when I went to seminary, I wasn't sure what being a minister would look like for me this image of my head of what a pastor would look like. And it was an older person who was seasoned, maybe second career. It was someone who didn't like fashion or blonde highlights or certainly being in front of a camera. And I thought, how can all of this that's inside of me fit with what I feel in my heart I'm absolutely meant to do? And what I found is that when we're faithful one step at a time, it, it can lead to something we never expected and that somehow fits perfectly. And, you know, I started my ministering in a church. I'm now three churches later and they came to me. My jaw just dropped when they offered me to come onto their staff as a parish associate. And they said, listen, we happen to have this television studio in our basement. And we're looking for ways to reach families. And would this be something that you'd be interested in pioneering and you know, furthering the relationship between the studio and the church? And I just thought, here it is. Like this is this is a part of what I have been prepared to do. You know, I had that background in in theater and speech and debate growing up, but I never thought it would look exactly like this, and yet somehow it fit perfectly. That's amazing. So I think for me, you know, I've always been someone who not only looks to scripture for that inspiration, but kind of holds on to like a good quote. And I heard one author say that living your life purpose is living a life so that your heart sings. Mm. And I just, I think about that. And it, it, it calls to me, you know, am I living in a way that my heart is truly joyful? Does that mean that everything I try works? Absolutely not. Does that mean that there aren't bumps along the road? Of course there are. But am I excited to get up in the morning? Yeah, if I'm right. excited to get up, then I'm doing something right. Yes. You and just put an electric current through me. Exactly. It spoke to me. Yes. Yeah. And, and there's another quote that I also really like. It's by a famous theologian. And, you know, one of my first articles that was published um, for a publication called Encourage, I used this quote and they made it into a man and they put it everywhere. And I think it really resonates with people. And the quote is, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Wow. And so I think, you know, we all want to leave our mark and really allowing you know that quote to challenge us to think about where our deep gladness intersects with the world's deep hunger beautiful so noel what traits 
from those experiences help mold you into the pastor that you are today? Well, it's funny. When I was studying pre-med, there was a part of me that enjoyed it immensely. And I've come to realize that science is an interest while faith is a passion for me. Mm -hmm. So I continue to be interested in it and I'm always reading different things. And I think what particularly impresses me about science is the intricacies of creation, you know, the intricacy of biology. I can't study the natural world and not be mesmerized in a sense of awe of the creator. And as a pastor, I continue to use that perspective and that connection to nature to feed me, to bring me closer to God, to help me experience peace. So that is still a very big part of me. Um, even though I'm not, you know, practicing medicine every day, I like to stay mesmerized by life um, in my kids and life outside around me and what it can teach me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was a paralegal and, and thinking about the legal world, it's all about the critical analysis of texts. Mm -hmm. And that's what I do as a minister. You know, I approach the Bible like a book to study. And in fact, when I was in seminary um, at Princeton, we had to learn the biblical Greek and the biblical Hebrew to really get down in there. And I loved that. You know, some, some students rolled their eyes and were like, oh man, I don't want to learn this. And for me, I'm like, oh yes, you know, oh, one word could be but or and, it could mean the same, you know, and we have to decide. And by the way, that really changes what argument is being made. Um, and so I thought that that was fantastic. And, you know, so I use some of those skills too, but I think in the, in the broader sense, being a pastor for me is such a great fit because it really brings home that communication that was so important for me. You know, the speaking, the writing that didn't just quite fit in the pre-med track earlier on. Um, there's a sense of creativity as a pastor, which I really enjoy because there are so many ways to reach people. And so really giving your, yourself a chance to spread your wings and, and think creatively about that, I feed off of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, finally, as a mom of three sons, I like the balance that I've been able to find with my online ministry and faith and parenting TV show, because I think there's always a need, right? There's yeah. always a need. People always need help or inspiration, but it gives me a chance to find that right balance for me to tap in. So there's that continual invitation and, and I can kind of see, you know, what works for my rhythm and my family's rhythm as a woman um, to help further my objectives. Mm -hmm. I love it because everyone's scale is different, but we are all in search of balance. That's right. And I'm still searching for it, right? Yes, and we will continue to do so. <laughs> right? Correct. I was just going to say, you, you took the words out of my mouth such a unique journey to that led you to where you are today. And it's, it's pretty impressive. So Noel, what has been your biggest aha moment as a pastor? I would say 
realizing that I could be one. Um, you know, I mentioned to you that I had to reconcile what I thought in my head a pastor was versus what I felt I offered and kind of make peace with that. And again, what I have found is the things that make us unique in a particular field can be exactly what God can use. And I think that goes across any discipline. Mm -hmm. um, but I think also, you know, historically, and we were talking a little bit about this before we started taping, women haven't always had a voice in the church. And I was raised by a strong mom. She was an attorney. I was raised with a sister and she really impressed upon us that it's really important to use your voice. And as a pastor, I see as I walk into churches, you know, predominantly there are women in the pews. So mm -hmm. why do we not have women's voices in leadership? It's really an opening that I think is becoming more and more supported in, you know, across um, denominational lines to try to facilitate that kind of expression. Because I think we're the strongest when we hear from everyone. And when we come together as a true body of Christ. So I think that's something that I want to model through the work that I do and help empower and equip other women to do the same. That's magnificent. And, and women by nature, right? We're a little bit tapped into our emotions, empathetic. Um, so that, that makes a great leader because you can actually feel what your audience needs. You know what your audience needs and what needs Absolutely. to Absolutely. I think we need more of that kind of leadership everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. A little less quick to react and a little more willing to kind of way with empathy, different perspectives. I think it can be a true strength, um, mm -hmm. you know, that for such a time as this, right, um, yes. is definitely needed and um, important. Yes, because for so long it was seen as a weakness in society. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, the tables I'd say in the last three to five years have flipped where it's looking more and more like a strength, feels like a strength, right? Mm -hmm. and, and people are, are leaning in and that's, that's huge. I think that's a huge stride in our society today that, that I'm proud to see. Absolutely. Uh, and Noelle, going back a couple of minutes ago, you talked about public speaking and acting in your background. You and I have that in common too. Not only going to Northwestern, you undergrad, me grad school, but public speaking. It really taught me communication. And how to be relatable to people. And that's a trait that we carry for life. Absolutely. No matter what profession we're in. Yeah. Yes. The, the school where my sons go uh, really emphasizes character development and it emphasizes public speaking. And I'm so glad for the two. I, I tell my sons, in whatever field you are in, you will need to be able to communicate. Mm -hmm. um, effective communication is one of the most important ways that you will have to advocate for yourself and advance the life that you want for yourself. And, um, you know, you can also use your voice to help others. So there's really no negative to it. And mm -hmm. yet it does take work to develop right? De develop that comfort level, develop your ability to craft your words. 
Um, but I think it's fruitful. Yes. Yes. And, and like we said, it's that lifelong trade and people are often afraid to get up and talk in front of an audience, afraid to speak their minds one-on-one, but what great conversation and thought provoking things come out of those, right? Diversified conversations that we have. Oh, absolutely. I remember a joke that I heard that has stuck with me. Jerry Seinfeld said, statistically, that people would rather be in the casket than give the eulogy at their own funeral because they're so terrified (laughs) of public speaking. What does that tell us about what we need to be working on as a society? Correct. Correct. We we can't be working (laughs) for sleeping. So yes, yes. I, I did hear him say that too. That's funny. So Noelle, let's dive into your book. You published a book, How to Live Your Life Purpose, and it's a six-step journey to God's best. And I'd love to dive into three of those steps today. And those three are longing, risk, and persistence. Can you bring them to life for the listeners as to why they are so vital to your life purpose today? Absolutely. You know, longing is the first step that I identify in my book. And longing is an indicator that there is work to be done. And I can tell you that in my life, I think I've experienced longing in two different ways. The first way, it can be that subtle nagging reminder that Mm. just keeps coming back, especially at key moments in your life that there's something that's missing. And it can feel like a a weight, like a quiet weight on your heart. It can feel like a heaviness, an emptiness. Um, But like I said, it's repetitive. It will keep coming back. You can't push it down. Um, And it's a call for introspection. Mm -hmm. And the second way that I think longing can present itself is like your insides are screaming. Mm -hmm. And this is when you're just in an environment that is just completely all wrong for you. And some people can be so unhappy that they even have physical manifestations of their unhappiness. And so in both instances, you know, I think um, as a pastor, I say, you know, God kind of hardwired us. If we're going toward a kind of frayed circuit, it's a time to stop. It's a time to listen to ourselves, even if what we find is kind of scary, you know, it, it can be scary to, to slow down and to think about change and, and entertain it. But it's really an invitation that there's more abundance for you than what you are experiencing right now. So that's really the first spiritual step, I would say, um, to living your life purpose. And I love what you're saying about that calling, because oftentimes, myself included, you feel called to something and you muffle it because you say, I'm afraid, I don't want to take that risk, or, well, I'm surviving. I might not be thriving. My heart's not singing, but hey, I don't want to rearrange the deck chairs on the boat because the boat's afloat. I might not be loving what I'm doing, but it's floating in a direction. I feel like a robot, but I'm doing all right, right? And it's really listening and not being afraid. To Absolutely. It. You know, I think we can be um, content and bored. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a part of us is asleep. Or even sometimes it feels like it's dead. 
and we can keep living, but it's not a full life. And I think, you know, my, my role as a pastor is to try to make faith exciting and, and relevant. And I, I truly believe that we're called to a life of adventure. Um, you know, at midlife is oftentimes when a lot of people get in touch with this feeling of just dissatisfaction or longing. There's something that's missing. And I think, you know, when you have the ability to tap into a greater sense of support and, um, you know, you maybe rely on faith and not fear in those moments, um, it gives you that little extra bit of ammunition to really take that step, mm -hmm. um, however reticent you may be. Mm. So that's longing. And then risk, I would say, it's really important to me to clarify, you know, in our society, when we hear risk, we may think um, high risk behavior toward immediate gratification, where there is maybe immediate reward, but long-term negative consequences. And I'm not talking about that kind of risk. I'm talking about the kind of risk that is a calculated response after introspection that's rooted in faith and not fear. And mm -hmm. how do we shape what that risk looks like and be sure that it is calculated and measured? That's what I really try to flush out in my book. And persistence kind of piggybacks on that risk because I think it's hard enough sometimes to rally enough to take that leap in mm -hmm. a risk. But persistence requires us to hang out and be vulnerable right there, mm -hmm. to keep risking, to keep putting ourselves out there, which really takes some spiritual muscle, I have found. Wow. Um, it takes some grit, some determination, and it is sometimes where some people just hang up the towel and walk away. But that ability to persist right where we're vulnerable is something that, again, I think faith can help us do. And I, I think about one particular verse that I come back to. It's Galatians 6, 9, and it says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Mm -hmm. I love it. The word that comes to mind there is tenacity for me. Yes. Right. And, and I love grit. How do you successfully fail forward and stay at it mm -hmm. and be open to this is the path I'm taking, but it might veer in a diff different direction of the unknown that works out better than we ever thought. Absolutely. In fact, it often does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love it. I love it. And there's, there's three other, um, you know, steps, but we'll, we'll leave the listeners wondering and they can pick up uh, your book and, and figure out what those are. So how to live your life's purpose, the six step journey to God's best. So Noelle, amongst your array of talents, you also host a TV show from chaos to calm. And you recently interviewed one of my most favorite Candace Cameron Bure. And I'm a huge, well, full house back in the day growing up, but Hallmark movie fan. Whenever she is in a Hallmark movie, I am watching that. Um, she's just a, such a ray of light and, and truly seems like a good person. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I was so blessed to have her on the show. I mean, in my head, I feel like we're already best friends because I, I like you, watch everything that she does on Hallmark, and I just love it. Um, but I think she is, you say it so well, Gail, a ray of light. You know, I've followed her on social media. She's a very positive person. And what I found sitting down with her is that she's a great role model. And you know, as a pastor, I encouraged her to just openly respond. And if faith came into the picture, it was okay. And mm -hmm. so we were able to have this very genuine give and take um, conversation that I found so edifying, you know, to hear her wisdom. And I, I truly mean that. I think she is a very grounded individual despite her immense success. And it's, it's something to be admired. Yeah, it's so refreshing to see that coming from an actress. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Role model. So, Noelle, thinking about your legacy and raising three children, what values are you instilling in them? Well, something that comes to mind is the importance of character. You know, I think that in our culture of rush, often it's, it's easy to overlook the intangibles and focus on the tangibles. And what do I mean by that? I think GPA, I think mm -hmm. awards, performances, you know, sports um, teams that the kids are chosen for. But while those are measurable and, you know, hold some esteem by way of society, you know, part of the mark that I want to leave is sending gentlemen into the world, sending boys into the world who know how to treat other people um, mm -hmm. and how to respect themselves. And so I don't think that it's a lost art. I think it's something that we can all do, but we have to value it before our kids do. And so I wrote an article on Crosswalk about how to tend to character, and, and I mentioned three ways to grow it, but I think the impressive um, finding that I want to communicate on your podcast was that there was a famous experiment that happened in the 1960s, and it since had subsequent follow-ups, and it was called the Marshmallow Experiment, and it talked about the importance of self-control, which is a character quality, mm. and it proved that self-control is the number one driver for future success in children more than any other characteristic. And so I think if we're really looking to our kids' success, then character is an essential element to that recipe. As we transition to the last segment, risk-taking, the spirit to reinvention throughout the many seasons of life. So Noelle, what does taking a risk mean to you? Um, when I think about risk, I like to think that risk is an exciting offer of possibility. While haphazard risk can be costly, measured risk can be positive and life-changing. Mm -hmm. I love that. Measured risk, there's thought behind it. Absolutely. Not just shooting from the hip. And oftentimes a short-term sacrifice for a long-term goal. We can't be afraid to make that short-term sacrifice when it's for something we really believe in and want. Because oftentimes the great things in life will require that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And Noah, what tools helped 
you most in taking those risks in your life? Well, like with anything, I think preparation is key. You know, taking time for introspection, discerning if the risk is a risk worth taking, and then believing in myself and trusting God with the results. You know, you said earlier on your show, Gail, that things may not work exactly as we have planned, but isn't that kind of an important piece of the adventure that awaits for us? Yes, it absolutely is. There's, you know, you have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable and you have to be comfortable with, with the unknown. And, and I think we're wired to kind of need that, you know, um, unknowns can be scary on the one hand, but they can also open up this possibility that I think our hearts long for, you know, to believe, to hope that things can change, things can get better. Yes. What is your biggest fail forward in life and what did you learn from it? So I think as a writer, I am always failing forward. <laughs> you know, I think you have to have a thick skin in writing. You know, you have to keep being persistent and grinding it out. You know, there's a lot of rejection trying to get a book published, trying to get an article published at a new medium. You know, you have to be willing to persist in that vulnerability, like I've written about for my book. But I have found that so much of our culture is about social media and what's seen and those accomplishments that we post. But a lot of what has been the most meaningful and important in my life has happened behind the scenes. That internal wrestling, refining, working to improve my craft, setting small goals that I can reach so that larger ones can become more attainable. I think that is really the secret recipe to making anything that you want to see happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. All those things that we grapple with and struggle with that gives us that grit to become successful, right? Oftentimes people don't see all the underlying. They just see the success. But there's so much character that goes into. Success. Absolutely. I think if there's one thing I want your listeners to take away with is don't be afraid of the small steps. I like to think about a pine cone. A pine cone is full of very ordinary, similar looking scales. But when they all come together, it can do something amazing. It can do something life-changing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think so many times what we're working toward is the same way. It's, it's composed of a lot of small steps, you know, small acts of obedience that come together to make something beautiful happen. That's wonderful. Going back to raising your gentleman, what risk-taking advice are you instilling in your children? Well, I think this is a great question, Gail, because I think as modern parents, the trend is that we're raising children who are risk averse. The, ri the risk averse statistics are out there. I have had a New York Times bestselling author on my show, Jessica Leahy, who's an educator. Mm -hmm. And she has written uh, the book, The Gift of Failure, and talked about how she's not only researched, but also seen in classrooms, that parents are so afraid of their kids to fail, that they're 
packing their book bags. They're driving to school if their kids forgot something. They're even writing their essays for school so that they have, you know, a great result. And what's missing in that, you know, we all are well-meaning parents. We want the best for our kids, but failure is actually a powerful teaching tool. And how great to be able to fail when you're a child, when the stakes are lower mm -hmm. and you can learn from it versus when you're failing for the very first time as an adult, because we all fail, right? But right. the idea is to allow children the ability to take risks and fail and pick themselves back up. But and it'll be okay, right? And not everyone deserves a trophy. That's right. And, and I, when I think about what would be the most redeeming, I think, for me as a parent to offer my kids along that vein, you know, I want to inspire confidence in my children. Right. And, and like you said, from an early age, right? Even I, I, my daughters, for example, sharing is so big. Or if one's teasing the other, okay, take it into your own hands. How would you solve the problem? I'll help you, but you take a stab at it. Yes. And it'll be okay. And you'll learn. That's right. Empowerment, right? Yes. So important. And it's, it's a lifelong skill. So, Noelle, as we wrap here, the last question I have for you is why as a society are we so risk adverse? And what advice would you leave our listeners with to muster up the courage to take their risk and leap of faith? Well, I think that as a society, there's a lot of risk out there, but the kind of risk that can really have a long-term positive outcome and that's beneficial, you know, like we said, it takes sacrifice and it is in short supply. Mm. And so I would just commend upon your listeners, you know, if you are feeling that itch, if you are feeling that sense of longing, don't run away from it you know, create some time for yourself, pour a cup of tea, sit with it, and just see, you know, it could be that so much of what you have going on is good, but there may be one thing that's missing, and that one thing could make a big difference. Or it could mean a 180, and you want to, you know, start something new, or, or start a new hobby, or volunteer in a new initiative, whatever it is, don't be afraid, you know, and then once you make that leap, believe in yourself. And I think a powerful example of that, Gail, and one that I'd like to leave with is, you know, I think about when my kids learned to ride a bike and they had the skills to ride the bike, mm -hmm. but you could just see in their little minds when they began to feel afraid, it was almost like they would cause themselves to fall. Yeah. <laughs> They needed to believe in themselves. Does that mean that they would never fall? Of course not. They would fall. But they are not, by believing in themselves, they're not bringing that failure upon themselves, right? You need to be all in. If you're going to risk and you've made sure through introspection that it's a risk worth taking, go for it. Be fully present. Be fully invested. And wait and see what new place God takes you to. I love it. Oh, wonderfully said, Noelle. Noelle, I want to thank you for being here today and to sharing your stories and your wisdom with the audience and myself. And so blessed to have you here today. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Gil. It was a blessing for me as well. Best and of luck. And best of luck to you too. 
I found a friend in you. Vice versa. Thank you for joining me today on my podcast, Theodora Speaks. I want to thank Noelle Kirshner for being my guest, the author of How to Live Your Life's Purpose, The Six-Step Journey to God's Best, and TV host from Chaos to Calm. I want to thank you, our listeners, our valued listeners. There's a lot of podcasts out there that can uh, enlighten you, inspire you, and I just want to thank you for sharing your time today, and I hope that I inspired and empowered you to live your life's best and to take your risk. Special shout out to New Voice Studios for recording and producing today's podcast. The couple of takeaways from today were not only balance and risk-taking, but as Noelle eloquently said, don't be afraid to take your leap and believe in yourself. You have to be all in and be vulnerable when you are going to take your risk. And if you're struggling with indecision in your career, I encourage you to follow me at gailkeller.org to see how you can become a part of an engaging community. In addition to my podcast series, Theodora Speaks, I offer advisory sessions as well as course offerings on how to prepare you to be a risk taker and face your fears with educational curriculum focused on instilling the values of courage, decisiveness, confidence, assertiveness, and balance. I can help you successfully reboot by teaching you how to gracefully fail forward without the crash and burn. Thank you and stay courageous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.